Hey, this is Jason Martinez of the Philadelphia Flyers, and you're listening to Face Off with Chris on the Enterprise Sports Network. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to Face Off with Chris here on the Enterprise Sports Network. I am your host, Christy Francesco, and it is an absolute pleasure to be back on the podcast airwaves talking Philadelphia sports with you all again. And I would like to first thank God for giving me the availability and the ability to do this again on a much grander platform. That platform has been provided to me by Dan and Doug over at Enterprise Sports. Uh, these Those guys are well on their way to building a sports media powerhouse. And I am very blessed and humbled that they approached me with the opportunity to lead their sports podcasting venture. Uh, you guys can find them on the Instagram eh, at Enterprise Sports. I like to thank my wife, Morgan, who keeps our home uh, quiet so I can record the best podcast possible with you know little to no noise in the background. Uh, she works her tail off uh, to make sure yours truly is able to do these podcasts without uh, a noise hitch. You know, when you have a an almost two-year-old running around the house, sometimes it's tough to actually sit down and record you know, a podcast and not have anything um, smash, scream, uh, or go off in the background. So happy uh, to say that whenever you hear an episode of Face Off with Chris, you will most likely hear nothing at all in the background, which is good. Nice and smooth for you guys. Uh, so lastly, before we get started here, I have to thank my co-host, Jason Miller. Jay has been so loyal to me for years when he did not have to be. He and I uh, had a very successful Philly sports show for years um, back when um, I was asked to bring this show back. I knew right away who to ask to be my tag team partner in this. Jay is a smart dude, knows his stuff when I can get it out of him, and most importantly, is dedicated to making this thing work. Uh, the, the great thing for that is, you know, he trusts me to make this train run the way I see it, and he supports my vision always without question. Uh, he's a perfect assistant captain, if you will, baby. Um, on this inaugural episode of Face Off with Chris, I wanted to have a special guest uh, with me, someone who has been a mentor of mine for well over a decade in, in the media and just as a friend personally. Uh, that guy is Jason Martinez, who you heard at the top of the show do the intro. Uh, Jason works for the Philadelphia Flyers as a pre-intermission and post-game host on 97.5. Uh, he also runs the recently launched uh, Flyers Broadcast Network. He's also the host of the Flyers Daily and Sick to Hockey Podcasts. Uh, Jason is just an incredible human being, a total class act. And what I love most about Jason is he's a hockey nut, just like myself. Uh, Jason and I go way back to about 2006 or seven, uh, where he was at Sports Radio 94 WIP, or at that at that time, I believe it was still 610 WIP on, on AM radio. It, it's stunning that's even still exists. But um, you know, he was my boss when I first worked there, and then. After that, once I started covering uh, the NHL on a daily basis from 2006 through 2017, you know, I saw Jason darn near every single night at, you know, Flyers practice or um, I'd see him at the rink for, for the games at the Wells Fargo Center or Wachovia Center back then. Um, 
and just we had this really cool relationship that we just developed and it just kind of carried over you know like i said almost you know geez 14 years uh we've known each other and uh he's helped me out as often as i've bugged him uh for radio advice podcast advice um you know talking to athletes stuff like that how to be comfortable talking uh, to athletes or talking behind a microphone. So uh, we had an incredible conversation and I thought of, you know, who else for me to talk to on my first episode here on the Enterprise Sports Network is Jason Martitas. Uh We have a, a little over 50 minute, 5-0, 50-minute conversation um, all about hockey. We, we talk about the current, you know, issue with the pandemic uh, that's based, you know, obviously halted all the professional sports and almost, you know, life itself. Um, and we discussed the comeback, which is hopefully the end of July when the NHL starts uh, making their way back uh, to playing actual games. And we just go into to so many different areas. We talk about Ovechkin possibly catching Wayne Gretzky and the goals. We talk about goaltending, uh, Carter Hart. Um, it's pretty much anything you can think of that's either hockey now or you know, back in the day, uh, we discuss it. Um, and like I said, over 50 minutes, we talk about um, pro hockey and the Flyers coming off the pandemic, what to expect. Did the Flyers, you know, get too hot before uh, this whole shutdown of, of, of the entire league? Uh, but there's so much we talk about. Looking forward to uh, you guys listening to this interview. Um, like I said, well over 50 minutes here on the inaugural episode of Face Off with Chris. Um, and before I head out of here and you guys listen uh, to that interview, and I'll be back on the other side uh, with the uh, the outro of this. Um, if you guys want to follow Enterprise Sports, uh, let them know what's going on. Uh, head over to Instagram at Enterprise Sports. If you want to follow me on the Instagram, I am at ChrisDFran18. Um, I change it because you know my last name. Um, on Instagram is long and can be confusing. I don't like spelling it out 900 times. So I just changed it up to make it much easier for you guys. Um, if you want to follow me on the Twitter at CDFran24, uh, I believe that's still what it is. I'm on there uh, quite often. Uh, send me your questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, your concerns won't really affect me too much. But if you have any comments uh, and you guys want to hear something, if you guys want a certain interview, let me know. Um, but definitely check me out on the social media and I will uh, get back to you guys. But definitely check out uh, Enterprise Sports. Um, we set them up uh, on Anchor, uh, which is where I, I do all my other podcasts. I'm not going to talk about them here. That's neither here nor there. But if you can go to Anchor, you can go to Spotify, Google Podcast. We will be on Apple Podcasts. I made sure of that. Um, so as soon as this show hits, you guys listen to it. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you will be able to hear Face Off with Chris. So without further ado, I'd like to let you guys in on the conversation I had. I actually recorded it uh, today, I believe is Tuesday. So uh, early this afternoon, um, Tuesday afternoon, I recorded this interview through Zoom. Uh, with Jason Martita. So I hope you guys enjoy, and I will talk to you guys on the other side. Jason Martitas, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. A little sore. Got back on the ice for the first time yesterday. And um, it, like the NHL players, they haven't been on the ice, I think it's 111 days now. Same thing for beer league. And beer league players aren't fit to handle a 110-day layoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that kind of uh, – Good thing you just brought up uh, about the current 
you know, players and how, the layoff, how long it's been. Um, what's your current thought on the league restarting and uh, its restart, I guess, coming up really soon, thank goodness, as, as of right now. And then on top of that, what do you think are the chances of the league maybe going to a stop before we even start? As we see now with the current climate, things somehow are just getting worse again. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I always kind of say, like, a pandemic is never, like, on a straight line in all areas. Like, you see, you know, Italy was ahead of us, and, and England was slightly behind New York, and New York was way ahead of the South, and all those things. So it's not on a straight line. You know, part of the increase in numbers, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I read about it, and I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, so um, I'm an expert. But um, I, I think part of it is, yeah, there is growth in those cities because maybe they opened up too fast or the wrong way, and um, a lot of it's testing because more people are being tested. And I saw the CDC thing that they put out that anywhere from 8 to 24% of more people have it than they even tested. So the numbers are even way higher than we're seeing. Um, but what, what does that mean? There's a lot of asymptomatic people. But um, look, I think the league could delay the start of training camp by a couple of days, three to five days uh, for that Ju or July 10th deadline. Um, but the only reason that is, I, I believe, from what, from what I'm being told, is that they're going to vote on a new CBA, an extension, a four-year extension to the CBA, and they want to have all that done before they return to play. And there's some debate within the league of, hey, should the players on those seven teams that aren't playing in the return to play, should they have a say, and should they be voting on the, the protocols and stuff that they're testing? Because they're not – they're getting the financial reward of it, but they're not getting – you know, acquiring any of the risk of returning. So – um, but they want to lump the two together and the extension of the CBA. So then therefore all 31 teams would have to vote on it. So um, I, there's a chance it gets paused, um, you know, a couple of days if, if they don't get all the work done for the four year extension of the CBA. But um, I believe they believe that when they get to the bubble in the hub cities, and I think we're going to find out today, it's down to four cities. Mm -hmm. um, it's Chicago, it's Vegas, Toronto, and Edmonton. Uh, we're going to find out those two cities today. But I think they believe that once they get the players into that, through a lot of testing prior to that, that that's going to be a clean environment, which isn't to say there's not going to be positive tests once they get into a hub city because the league is prepared for that because mm -hmm. it's not going to be perfect. But that's why they expanded the roster. So uh, I, I think they're, gonna, they're making every effort. And I, I applaud the NHL, major stick taps. They've been really transparent about a bunch of things, about their desire to return, about the reason for their return. And it's not – and they've been clear, it's not just – to hand out the cup, it's, there's financial implications here too. It's trying to mitigate, you know, a lot of revenue loss, 1.3 billion. Um, so th there's a lot of reasons why, and and I think they're going to get it done. Yeah, for all the heat that Gary Bettman has gotten for years, um, he has handled this probably the best of any of the four major sports. I mean, in my yeah. opinion, he like you said, yeah. he's, they, the NHL has been so transparent and you know admits, like you said, losing over a billion dollars for a sport that really can't lose over a billion dollars yeah um, so it's, it's gate driven it's, too right you know sure. yeah they, they don't um, have the same the same tv deals that the nba nfl and, and baseball have which is a, a travesty uh yeah. and uh, the, and I, I really hope edmonton becomes a hub because i think they have the best ice in the league from what everyone always votes every year so that would be yeah to have that well it's interesting because um they have the new building there the rogers arena which is I haven't been to it, but I heard it's off the charts great. 
and they have all the facilities that surround it. The numbers there are good in uh, Alberta, especially Northern Alberta. Um, but it's interesting because Colin Campbell um, has talked about this and really the ice won't be an issue. There's a couple things that kill ice. And generally speaking, it's not temperature. It's more um, when fans go into a building, they'll have the building at 64 degrees or Brian Burke talking about this at 64 degrees. And then when the fans come in, by the time the game's over, it's 77 degrees. But yeah, I mean, Coley Campbell seems to think that, you know, the ice isn't going to be an issue and they'll have a lot of dehumidification, which will help it as well. I mean, they could play in Florida as long as they had the dehumidification. Um, and, and they feel like, I mean, look, if they played an outdoor game in LA or Arizona, like they have, then you can get good ice in the summertime. Oh, um, now the great thing about Jason and guys is, is I'm going to, I said this in the intro, I'm going to go kind of all over the place because the, the beautiful thing about Jason is that he loves hockey. He lives and breathes it. So we're going to kind of go all over the place here. Um, but to continue what we were just talking about, did you hear Max Kellerman's on ESPN's comments a few weeks ago about hockey and how that just started a huge storm? Do, do you think, that was kind of driven that ESPN doesn't care about hockey anymore. And, you know, it really bothered me when he made that statement because he basically put every fan of the sport in this little bubble and just, you know, threw it in the ocean. And I just found it to be ridiculously disrespectful, especially coming from a huge sports network like that. What were your thoughts for someone like you who've dedicated their life to hockey? Um, And, you know, for me who dedicate a lot, not as much as you that close, but dedicated, you know, 20 hours a day to the sport for so long. What, what did you think right away when you heard something like that come from someone being paid by ESPN? Well, I wasn't shocked because first and foremost, um, we all know that when the NHL got out or when ESPN got out of the NHL business and they didn't have the TV contract, they basically just crapped it on the sport and they buried it because they didn't have a financial gain in it. And, you know, I thought the worldwide leader in sports was supposed to have journalistic integrity. They've proven that they don't. And they have these shows with guys like Max Kellerman and, and, and other guys where they just come up with stupid hot takes, which to me is one of the things ruining sports is the hot, just saying something to create an argument. And that's what they do on that show. But um, look, at first it bothered me because it was on a platform as big as ESPN, even though that show rates lower than the Teletubbies. Um, and that's just a fact, but, um, here, here's the the notion that I've tried to adopt. Now it's hard to adopt it all the time. It's like self-evolution and self-survival. You put in these, these things that these things that you live by and Jeff Van Gundy said it during a NBA finals broadcast about the Philly fans. And it's true in this, in this regard. Um, if there, if someone has a comment that, against you a critique or whatever but you wouldn't seek their commentary then don't let it bother you because i would never go to max kellerman for analysis on the nhl i may go to him for analysis on boxing or maybe something else i don't know what else that would be but um i can't let his commentary ignorant as it was bother me because i would never seek his advice for the sport anyway Mm -hmm. so he's got no credibility in the game. He, he doesn't watch it. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't, he's not invested in it. His employer's not invested in it. So I can't let what he said bother me because like Jeff Van Gundy said, if you're not going to seek their advice, then why would you let their criticism bother you? Yeah. And I think it's a really important kind of way to, to, to attack these kind of things. And I've tried to use it in, in regards to dealing with idiots on social media 
you know, that, that want to say stuff about the sport. And like, I love it. I love the sport. And I've gotten to a place now and I, you know me, Chris, I follow, I fly the flag like none other in the media in this town. And I've caught a lot of crap for it over the years. And, and, and that's cool. That's fine. You know, when this, if the team's really good, then whatever people be like, people be on board and I'm fine with people jumping on board. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, you know, not a lot of people understand this game at the, at the proper level. Like they think they understand the NFL or the NBA because they can identify with those sports more. Mm-hmm. You know, they, when the Sixers were doing the process, you know, all oh, the Flyers should tank so they can get a guy like Connor McDavid. Well, what did Connor McDavid get Edmonton so far? They've gotten right. to one playoff, you know. It's not about one player in the NHL. So the sports are so different. And, and I tried to try to educate people on that aspect. And sometimes you're successful, sometimes you're not. Sometimes people – just want to be idiots and you can't fix dumb. And that's what social media is. So um, I, I've kind of tried to attack it from with a guy like Max Kellerman. Like I love it. And does he not like it? Yeah, that's fine. I'm, it's not going to change my enjoyment of the game. For me, I like to watch it as long as they plug in the scoreboard and there's a clock running and they're keeping score. I don't care what level it is. I watch it. I go watch 16 U showcases at the local rink here when they have a national showcase just to go see really good players play. So I, I love the game, and it, it doesn't matter what level it is. I love the NHL. I love it all. So uh, I, I try not to let what he said bother me, although initially it did. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. it really did bother me at first, but, but as the time has gone, your attitude and what uh, Jeff Van Gundy said, I mean, it, it – it rings so true, and yeah, take um, that into every part of your life. Like, I really should, you know, like, like if somebody's like, whether it's your regular job or whatever, if they're trying to tell you how to do their job, if you're an accountant and they have, and you wouldn't seek their advice on how to do your job better, then don't let their critique bother you because it's not an educated critique. Right, agreed. And the the most beautiful thing about hockey, and I, I tell people this all the time, it is legitimately the ultimate team sport, and it's yeah. and, and you see that with guys like Connor McDavid. You know, has a hard time, like you said, cracking the postseason, and he's the best player in the world, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. <laughs> you need everybody else on the ice. Yep. Um, so when we talk, when we talk about coming out of this break, um, and obviously everybody who knows you knows that you're you're a goalie. The background that I'm talking to Jason right now is something that I would want on a painting um, <laughs> of the masks that you've got behind you. Um, when it this lengthy of a break. Is it more difficult to come back as a skater or a goalie? Like, what's what's going to be more difficult when they get back into legitimately having the quote unquote training camp to get ready to come back in? And then when games start, is it going to be more difficult for a skater or a goalie to really get back into that level? It's a great question, and it's, it's a really hard one to answer. And I've asked every guy on the team this question: goalies, Kim Dillaball, the goalie coach. I've asked players. I've asked other goalies around the league. I, I don't know what's going to be more difficult. Um, it's going to be tough for all of them just because – I mean, it's, this has kind of been the rhythm of an offseason in a way because of the, the amount of time off and then getting back on the ice prior to training camp. Um, but for the goalies, I think there's a, a different kind of impact. Um, the, the position, while being so important, it's weird because the goaltender doesn't dictate anything. Um, it's a reactive. We try and dictate as much as you can and, and, you know, forcing plays to certain areas by your positioning um, to areas of your strength or because, you know, you know, predictability, but it's a reactive position. So I, I think it's going to be more difficult on the goalies 
And the ones that are able to gain confidence right away are going to be the ones I think that have success. The ones that are really mentally strong and don't let the pause and everything else get into their head. The fans, I don't think have any impact on it from, you know, these players are so focused when they're playing, they, they don't see beyond the boards. Um, although with no fans, I'm, I wonder about puck tracking a little bit um, with the dark, with no, you know, colors or brightness in the seats. If they're dark seats, I, I worry about puck tracking a little bit, but um, I don't even know if that's going to be an issue because you tend to focus so, so squarely on the puck with hedge trajectory and those kind of things. So, um, but, but I think it's going to be interesting because, the position from a mental standpoint is so volatile to begin with. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you see guys, I've done it too. I mean, the goalie community has ways of building themselves up uh, on a solo mission. So you'll see guys and they'll have like inside their blocker, they'll be like with Sharpie, they'll write something in there to help them to reset fo mental focus. You, you know, you turn around and face your net and you'll, you'll verbalize things to the net to like, you're so freaking small. Like you'll just say something like that. And it helps the goalie. Like you'll look at the net and you'll say that net is so small and you're just trying to make yourself bigger and those kind of things. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see who adapts to that. Um, I think the mentally strong goaltenders um, probably have been working with their sports psychologist, guy like Carter Hart, guy like Braden Holpe um, who worked with John Stevenson. Um, Carter's worked with him since he was 13 years old. He's a sports psychologist and performance coach. And I know he's been doing a lot of stuff with uh, Carter through the, throughout the pause. So I think those guys have, have a leg up. Um, if guys think they're just going to come back and get their game back and, and their pray, you know, their, their ability to read plays and all that stuff, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time to, to get back into that rhythm and feel comfortable. As far as like the movements go, they'll be fine in that regard. The goalies with a good technical foundation, I think will be in better shape too, because they rely on those technical aspects while they also have the ability to abandon those at the right, at the proper times. And Carter's a very technical goalie. Carey Price is a very technical goalie. Uh, the guys that are a little bit more freewheeling, um, I think may have a little bit of a harder time because the, the foundation of their game is all confidence and repetition. Carter's is, is a lot of technical aspects and post integration and those kind of things. Now you brought up Carter Hart and I didn't write this down, but I, I wanted to ask you because it just came to my head. The, Without being fans in the arena, and they're not going to be in the Wells Fargo Center, Carter Hart basically owns the Wells Fargo Center. Like, it is his arena. And, like, his home ice, he just completely – just unlike any goalie I've seen in a long time, just dominate on the home end. Do you, are you worried at all how he's going to be when the season starts and you don't have the 20,000 fans in Philadelphia? He's going to be doing this somewhere else. Um, yeah, I, I've been asked about that a lot. Um, you know, it's odd because in his, in his rookie year, he was actually better on the road than he was at home, <laughs> um, which is weird. Um, but look, I think at home, I don't think the fans had anything to do with his performance at home. I think there was a couple of things. The team wasn't playing great in the beginning of the year. And on the road, he struggled a little bit, got pulled in a couple of games. And, th and those losses and those situations um, skewed his numbers in a pretty big way. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, Carter, I say the fans don't matter. It's in the geography. I don't think the geography matters either because he prepares the same exact way. But he's so OCD, and the rigidity of his day on game day is it's inflexible. Every minute mm -hmm. is accounted for. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm napping. 
Here's what I'm getting up to eat. Here's when I'm eating. Here's when I begin to roll out. Here's when I start to dial in my eyes. Here's when I start to, you know, get the blood moving in my legs, my upper body, um, my, my juggling routines and all those things. So I think that, you know, part of that's a little, the, the numbers don't say it is, but it is overstated. I, I don't think it will matter that much at all. I really don't. Okay. I think that was just more of a product of um, some games earlier in the year that kind of skewed those numbers. Because in the second half, even though he didn't play on the road a ton, because they went to Brian Elliott a lot in those situations, um, when he did, he was good. Yeah, I, I remember speaking to Carter Hart last year, and I remember asking him what's the one thing that he focuses on, and he was just talking about how regimented he is. Yeah. And I was so impressed. I mean, at the time, he was maybe 20. Yeah. Right, twenty one now, twenty two, and to hear a twenty year old be so regimented like that as a goaltender, it was I was really impressed about it. Um, um, so that that's that's really good to hear you here. So that's, that's yeah, there's a rigidity um, in preparation for a goalie because, like you know this, Chris, like as elite athletes, and, and if you played sports at any decent level, you know the yeah. good players um, are all alphas. They want to control the game, no matter what. Whether you're playing basketball, you want the ball. Whether you're in baseball, you want to, you know, you want to take control of the game, let the other team, you know, react to you. But it's really hard as a goalie to do that. Look, I've done this like informal study and I've talked about it. I, I think goalies that played at any decent level end up with the case of when they're done or later in life of OCD because they have to control everything because the area that they wanted to control the most, they couldn't. So, like, mm-hmm. It's happened. I know I talked to a lot of guys that played at high levels and, and go through it too and, and still deal with it today. Like, I mean, I can't watch a movie if there's dishes in the sink. You know what I mean? Like, there's OC. It's weird, but I want to control everything else because when I get on the ice, I have a lack of control because I'm reacting to my surroundings as opposed to dictating the terms. Yeah, we're, we're speaking to Jason Martinez of the Philadelphia Flyers and of the newly formed Flyers Broadcast Network. Uh, which is super exciting, man. Really happy um, and excited that you get to basically make something your own, which is beautiful. Um, so my my next question here, now let's go to pre-pandemic. Flyers were probably the hottest team in the NHL. And there was around 65, 66 games they played, maybe 68, maybe. I have to check that. 69. Um, 69. So I was almost there. Uh, <laughs> do you think, and hockey is – so odd you know this too i mean you can literally with 20 games left be so hot and then go into the playoffs and maybe get swept take the tampa bay lightning for example um do you think the flyers this year got hot too early We're, like i was starting to get worried that with like 12 games ago some going into the playoffs that hot that the that bubble might burst do you think at at the time before this all shut down did you in your head um, think that maybe the Flyers were getting hot too early? Well, it's a legit worry because we've seen it a thousand times in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's like, you know, they they go through the month of February and they don't lose a game in regulation, right? We've seen it before. And then when the playoffs come, you're not playing your best. You want to peak at the right time. And you brought up Tampa Bay, and that's an interesting one because um, Tampa Bay was just an absolute steamroller last mm-hmm. season, not this past one, the one prior. You know, 128 regular season points. They were they were the class of the league. But what they did is they got so far out ahead of everybody that they lost their edge in that last month of the season. They were just like, come on, let's just get to the playoffs here. Let's just play this thing out. 
and get to the stuff that matters. We know we're going to be the president's trophy winning team. We know we're going to be a number one seed. There's nothing left to prove in this regular season. So you let your foot mentally off the gas and it's like NASCAR. <laughs> Once and you're at Talladega, right? And you're drafting. If you let your foot off the gas and it's hard to regain the momentum to stay with the field, you just start dropping spots and, and then you get into the playoffs with a team that was fighting tooth and nail to get there in Columbus with a coach who had that team playing for such a cause that all of a sudden you go, okay, um, now they're behind a little bit. Even though they have all that talent, their intensity level doesn't match the opponent. And that's why they got swept. And then confidence creeps in and then you start questioning it. And, and that's what happened with them. But with the Flyers, um, th- there's a couple of things I look at. Um, you're right. They won nine of their last 10. They were the hottest team in the league. They hadn't lost back-to-back games since that brutal road trip that they got back on January 4th. Um, oh, so, yeah. so that's a team that's built for the playoffs to not lose back-to-back games. And they faced a lot of tough opponents in there on the road. St. Louis they had on the road. They had a bunch of really good teams that they took out. I mean, they came back from that road trip and didn't even have a day off after, I believe it was a 12-day road trip across two time zones. Usually that first game back is really tough. Couple that with the fact that there was no day off in between, and they came back and they beat the Caps that night. Um, so th- they're a team that, yeah, I worry about it a little bit because you want to peak at the right time. But in this situation with the pause, it's a reset button. So everybody's coming in on the same playing field. So um, it's that's always a concern. How you're going to go into the playoffs? And I think the teams that have success in the playoffs are the ones that capture playoff uh, confidence right away. Tampa Bay suffered from it. They got a big lead in that series in Game One, then. Uh, Columbus came back and they lost their confidence. Columbus steamrolled them. You saw it. Uh, Pittsburgh got swept uh, by the Islanders. It's it, it's weird what can happen in the playoffs, uh, but they're in such a good position for playoff hockey because they have great depth scoring. They roll four lines. Shifts are short because Vino preaches that that you know I think they've shaved like four seconds off a shift average shift time year to year. Um, and all those things and, and the veteran leadership they have. So I think they were in a good position, and I think they'll be in a good position when they come back as well. But it was a concern, no doubt. Yeah, the mental aspect of hockey is incredible. Like we were just talking about Tampa Bay a um, couple years, like literally far and away the best team in the league gets, gets you know, destroyed in the playoffs. And you go back to like 2012, the L.A. Kings barely get into the playoffs as the eight seed, and they beat the one, two, and three seed to get into the Stanley Cup finals. So yeah. – um, it's just, it's incredible how, how things can, can work out. Um, so you brought up Elaine Vigneault. Now I remember before the season, um, the whole talk was, can the Flyers somehow get Joel Quenville in here to be the, the head coach of this team? Um, and I remember when that didn't happen and then, uh, Elaine Vigneault was named, there was a lot of backlash to that in the very beginning because everyone was on the Quenville, you know, legendary coach bandwagon let's get him in here and get this team over the hump um so since quinn um since i'm sorry since uh Vigneault has taken over he has basically become such a lovable figure in this city because he he basically has that philly attitude and um what have been your thoughts on on Vigneault when they first brought him in to where we are i guess now uh, well, you're right. Like, I mean, Quenville, three cups in five years. You, you look at him and what he accomplished in Chicago, and he's like the the cop, right? He looks like a cop. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got the mustache. He looks like Magnum P.I. or whatever. And yeah. and everybody wanted that guy. You want a guy with that pedigree, and he ends up going to Florida. And of course, there was some you know, reporting that he was going to come here. 
Um, but, and, and I believe that the flyers were in the mix to get him. I think he just ended up taking more money to go to Florida. Um, but you know, they went out and, and Chuck Fletcher made a great move and brought in Elaine Vino, who like Quenville, even though he doesn't have the three cups is a guy that has been a Jack Adams finalist four times, going to be a fifth time this year, won it back in 06, 07 with Vancouver. Uh, took the Vancouver team to a game seven of the finals, took the Rangers to a final. Um, so he comes in, he's, he's an elite coach. Not only that, but he assembled a staff with Mike Yo, former head coach. Mike was also an assistant coach in those Pittsburgh teams in 09 that won the cup. Um, and then Michelle Tarian, who actually lost his job to Dan Bilesma, and then Pittsburgh went on to win the cup, but went to a cup final in 08 against Detroit with Pittsburgh. A lot of experience there. Um, and Elaine, you know, the knock on him was he doesn't play young players, you know, and this is a team on the rise with young players and a ton of prospects. That hasn't been the case at all. Coaches love to, love to play players that they know what they're going to get. Um, and I always kind of put it this way. Uh, hockey players are bipolar. There's the manic side and the depressive side, right? And young players, the, the, the amount of gap between their bad part and their, and their good part is really big. And veteran players, that shrinks. Now, sometimes that veteran player, his ceiling may not be as high as a young player, but he knows what he's going to get. And the known commodity is so big for coaches because you don't want to put a young player out there and cost you a game, especially in the playoffs. So, but Vino's done a really good job and, and the level of accountability that he's held everybody to. I don't care if you've been in the league one year. I don't care if you've been in the league 12 years like Drew and you're getting paid eight and a half million dollars. The accountability is the same. And you would hear him publicly Say, hey, you know, Drew's got to be better. JVR's got to be better. J Jake Voracek's got to be better. And the reason why nobody had a problem with that, A, was because of his pedigree of coach, B, because everybody was held to the same level of accountability, and C, and the most important one, is that he had that conversation with the player before he went public with it. So I, I think those things mm -hmm. go a long way with players. He's, he knows how to talk to the younger players who are show me, and older players are tell me, you know, in the way you have to coach them. So mm – -hmm. Um, he's done a really good job and you're right. He is as cool as they come. He's James freaking bond, you know, the little shadow, <laughs> well-dressed, yep. savvy, yep. cool. Like we talked to him before games. We always talk to, a, um, usually the head coach, but we talked to him or Mike Yo or, or Michelle Terrian or, or Ian LePerriere as broadcasters before a game. And you know, when Elaine's done, cause he starts clapping his hands. All right. And it's like, okay, that's the last question we're done. <laughs> so he's just a cool dude, a good man and uh, a great coach. Yeah, I remember uh, his reputation when he came into the Flyers. People said about not playing young players. And it, it harkened back to I remember hearing that about Ken Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, um, I remember talking to Richie one time, and I remember bringing it up to him. This was like 06. I was talking to, to Richie in, in, the, in the locker room, and I said, hey, man, like your thoughts. What what? This was like off the record stuff, but he, he's come public about it now, so it's not a big deal. Uh, he – I brought up about Hitchcock being tough on younger players. You know, do you find that being tough on the relationship? And he always said, I don't know where that comes from. He's great with all of us. He wants, he's so hard on us and he just wants us to be so much better. And he wants to trust us in those situations, like you said. Um, so it's interesting to hear that for Vigneault. And then you, you remember back when Ken Hitchcock was getting that same rap on yeah. him as well. Yeah. And Hitch, Hitch is a great coach, um, a great communicator. Uh, the thing that made Hitch great, it, in my understanding, from a lot of guys that played for him, um, what it looked, 
you look at Hitch and like he's not an athletic looking guy. Breaking news, right? <laughs> um, so and and don't think that that doesn't wash on players because it does. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, I remember playing in high school. I had a coach, um, and he couldn't skate, and we we're like we would make fun mm. of him. I mean, he may have known the game and everything, but we made fun of him. <laughs> you know, and his credibility was lacking because he couldn't skate. Um, mm-hmm. So with Hitch, he just he wanted he had no problem with everybody hating him. Because he knew if he was the bad guy all the time and they all hated him, they would play at a high level. And it worked. And look, there's players that can't stand him still that, that played for him that had a lot of success with him, but they do but they all admit that he got the most out of him. And he's a great coach. And yeah, like Richie's right, he was a jerk to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. Mike Keenan was hard on everybody. I've heard um, uh, Craig Berube talk about it, Chief talk about playing for, for Mike Keenan and how hard he was on Scott Mellenby. Like to the point where it was like, oh my god, I'm surprised this guy's not walking into, the you know the office of uh, the general manager saying, get me out of here, I can't play for this guy because it was like o- almost over the line, right? I've heard a lot about about that this year, but um, yeah, some those, some of those coaches play that card because that's the card they have, and uh, Hitch is one of those guys that did it and he's done it to perfection, got a cup out of it, uh, been a real successful coach, and um, I find him to be great. I look cause he's a great talker, you know, but I didn't have to play for him. So right. I didn't have to endure the wrath in the room every day of you got to be better. You got to be better. You got to be better. Even though when I felt like I was playing great. So I never had to deal uh, with that. You, oh, for sure. Now on your, on your podcast flyers daily, which you guys can hear anywhere you, you listen to podcasts anywhere at all. You, you guys can hear it. just search flyers daily and, and you'll see it. Um, you'll see that great silhouette. Of, of <laughs> I can't logo. shave now because of the damn logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're done. You're screwed, man. Um, so you had a great conversation uh, on your episode yesterday with, with Bundy, uh, Chris Terrian, and you talked about the Hall of Fame. And I was literally having a talk. One of my best friends, he's in uh, Spain right now. He's in the Navy. And we talk about hockey. I mean, that's why we're best friends is we've been just connected with hockey since, like, 1997. And uh, we were talking about the same thing you guys were talking about. It was so interesting to hear you guys discussing um, – you know, this year's Hall of Fame class um, and then the snubs is always the interesting part. And so my question to you is, why are certain guys just not getting in like the Jeremy Roenick's? Um, You know, I heard him say Brian Pop, Prop. I mean, you brought up Scott Mellenby, great player. Um, and part of me feels like it might be in some cases a Canada issue, like it, it feels like American players kind of get snubbed much more often than the, you know, those Canadian-born stars, even those on-the-bubble Canadian stars. Totally agree. Um, so much of the voting committee is Canadian. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's 18 guys yeah. that vote on it. And, and you're right, there is a favoritism, and, and the Canadian guy will get the, the nod over the American guy. That should be dispelled by now. I mean, just look at last year's draft, and that should be dispelled where USA Hockey is. And the fact that I, I don't even – I think, like, there's four players in the top ten, uh, six players or seven players in the top 15 that came out of the NTDP program, you know, from Cam York, who the Flyers took, or Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcotte, all these guys, right? Um, tremendous – USA Hockey's off the charts great these days. Um, but, yeah, there there is still that um, – Somebody has to take on your case and fight for you to, to get in. A, a guy like Jerome McGinley, that's a no-brainer. I don't care if he's Canadian or Egyptian. Yeah. doesn't matter. You know, he, he's getting into the Hall of Fame because he was a, a phenomenal player. Um, 
I, I didn't love Hosa getting in on the first ballot. I know his numbers are big, but to me that first ballot thing is really special. <laughs> you got to be really special to be first ballot. You should be really special just to get in period end of sentence. Yeah. And I understand like, like when you look at Geek Carbon of the year before, like you can't just look at numbers. Like Geek Carbon put up nice numbers, but you, you got to look at what how they affected the game. Geek Carbon was a great shot blocker, did everything. You know, was a leader. Um, but you know, you look at it and and the cups plays a part in it. And I guess it should to some extent, but not completely because as you talk, we talked right off the hop, it's a team sport. So. Um, it's just frustrating. I just kind of get miffed because I'm going, you know, what did Guy Carbado? He didn't get any more goals, any more assists, any more block shots or faceoff wins in 21 years. So why now and not – why did it take so long? And why is Mugilney not in? Why is JR not in? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. You know, Igor Larionov is on the committee. Why is Mugilney not there? Why didn't he fight hard enough? Could he not convince right. enough guys to get to the 14 votes? Did a guy like Doug Wilson have two votes the year before as he had 12 the last three years to get the 14? I don't know. There's no transparency. It's a private club and they don't talk about it. Um, but, but it is frustrating because I think there's some, some guys that, sh- that belong in the Hall of Fame and shouldn't have to wait this long to get in. And there's some politics involved. There always is. But, um, yeah, it, it, it is maddening when I see – and I'm not saying Doug Wilson or – Kevin Lowe aren't deserved. And I understand Kevin Lowe a little bit because he's the eighth player from that Oilers team to get in, and you can't put them all in at the same time. Um, but I, I just kind of wonder, in the last two years, I have 67 combined years of eligibility and three guys get in, and JR's not in, and McGillney's not in. You know, I, I don't understand that. No, I, I agree. And you look at a guy like Madano, USA-born player, has played 200 more games, 250 more games in Roanick, has only about 150 more points than Roenick. Mm-hmm. And yet, Madano, I think, was basically I think, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. Uh, maybe second. Yeah, and Roenick is – yeah, and Roenick's still waiting. And it, I wonder if the Roenick thing is because of his – you know, he runs his mouth quite a bit. I think that's um, an asset. So I, I don't think that's a liability. <laughs> I, I agree. He's the kind of guy that the NHL needs. He's yep. like – And fun. this, you know, shows – he shows this kind of shows how how little I may watch NASCAR. But like when everyone hated Tony Stewart in NASCAR, he was so good for the sport because yep. he was like he was in the Wild Wild West, and that's how Ronan it was. And I yep. love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to um, me, he, he's what the league needs more of. It's weird because, like in sports in general and in hockey, to to the same degree, everybody goes. Man, we want our players to have a personality and say something until they say something. Then we want to cancel them, right? It's the cancel culture. Right. Like we sit there and we complain that they, athletes never say anything but to chalk. You know, we got to get pucks deep. We got to get take away their time and space and all that stuff. And as soon as they say something that's not that, we criticize them for doing it. Or like what Jack Eichel said or Ryan O'Reilly in Buffalo before getting traded to St. Louis. Like I'm tired of losing. Like I love what Jack Eichel said. I love when Ryan O'Reilly said it. Because you're damn right. Like, you're a pro athlete. Like, you don't want to lose. I've said it at every level. If they plug in the scoreboard, you're there to win. And Mm -hmm. guys getting pissed off about losing and voicing that, that doesn't make them a bad teammate. That's to me like, dude, my organization needs to wake up and and do better. We got to be better. We're in the top Top league in the world. We got to be better. And I think nobody's above being called out. I love that Jack Eichel did that. 
I, I'm 100% on your, on your side there. Um, all right, so now we're going to get into uh, some couple last things here, but I want to kind of get people to get to know you, what you love, why you love hockey so much. Um, so here we go. This is uh, your favorite Flyers moment growing up versus the favorite moment um, since working with the media covering the Flyers. Oh, man. Um, my favorite moment growing up, well, I don't know if it's, it's not a favorite moment, but it's the most indelible moment for me. Um, was in 85 when, when Pelly died. Um, it was the first time in my, I was 13. And I guess I was thir- 85, yeah. So I was 13, 12, 13 years old when Pelly died. And I was obviously a huge goalie fan back then. I started playing the position at five years old in 1977. Um, I didn't get to see a lot of Bernie that I recall, but Pelly was like, whoa, you know? And when he died, it was the first time in my life that I met like somebody died and like I'd suffered like loss and I was shattered. I still have the newspaper articles that Al Morgani wrote when he died um, wow. in, in a box in my house um, and how much it affected me. And I went to the first game after Pelly died um, against uh, Edmonton, Darren Jensen played. And that moment when they had the, the old spectrum scoreboard with just the 31, I, I feel like it's in, like it's burned into my retina. Like I remember being there with my dad and it was whew, crazy. Um, still emotional to this day. It's, it, it was just an amazing moment. But um, the Daniel goal in 87, my mom and dad were at the game. My dad had season tickets in section R row seven. So he uh, didn't take me to that game. My mom went to that one. Um, and I remember her coming home and saying, she had the worst headache in the world because the building was so loud. It was like ACDC was playing, right? But um, And when they scored that Daniel goal, I was watching it with my two older brothers. I remember just jumping up and down in front of the TV in game six that they were going to go to the final in 87 with Hextall. Um, so, so those moments. But as a media member, again, it's not, um, it's not a, a positive one. It's when they lost the cup uh, in 2010. You know, I was with the team doing the games at that time as well. And um, the crazy roller coaster of, uh, you know, the game seven or the series with Boston and then getting the privilege to go to Montreal and do games was like, whoa, I mean, that place was awesome. And just, the, you know, the relationship I had with Peter Laviolette, which was incredible. Um, and then to lose the cup that way and talking to Pronger after the game on the air, he was the only player that came out. Then I just went out and sat on the Flyers bench while the Blackhawks were on the ice with the cup until about one o'clock in the morning. And as any kid who grew up playing the game and loving the game to see that trophy, I don't care if it's your team that you rooted for is, is celebrating it or not. It was so incredible to just watch what that trophy meant because you know what goes into earning it. And to watch those guys and Kane and Taves, and then they go on to win a couple more cups. But to see that was like, it was it was incredible, and it, while it sucked that the Flyers lost it and they lost the way they did, um, to see that up close and kind of watching that unfold was in, incredible to me. That's really cool, man. Um, yeah. So, so my next question is a goaltending question. So you're good here. Uh, your favorite goalie and your favorite style of goaltending. Um, well, I got to break that down into errors because <laughs> it's changed so much. Uh, like I loved Pelly and I, um, but obviously we didn't get to see nearly enough of Pelly. Um, I loved Pexy a ton because I just loved the attitude and the intensity that he played with. And, and he revolutionized playing the puck and 
because of that, so many goalies um, started adding that element to their game, myself included, um, that I always wanted to play the puck. I felt it kept me in the game mentally more by handling the puck. So Hexy was a big one um, in that era in the 80s and, you know, late 80s and early 90s. And then uh, I loved Brodeur. I know he played for the Devils and you see his mask up there, but I loved Marty because he played in three different goal t technical aspects of goaltending errors, the stand-up and then yeah. the advent of the butterfly and then into post-integration goaltending and did them all really well. Um, and I just loved the economy of movement <laughs> that he played with. Like there was no wasted movements. He wasn't ever burning energy. You watch other goalies, like a, their defenseman goes behind the net and they, they go post to post hard. It's like, why? He would just turn and stand at the other post. It was like, I'm not wasting my energy on that. Um, mm -hmm. So I loved Marty. I, I liked Patrick Waugh. I wasn't like head over heels for Patrick, even though he revolutionized with Benoit Allaire, the, the, the butterfly aspects of goaltending. Um, Hashik was great to watch, but I could never identify with him because couldn't play the position that way. I don't know how you could teach anybody to play it that way. But in modern game, it's Jonathan Quick. Um, yep. To me, he revolutionized the position, the integration of the RVH, which was uh, developed actually by a woman in Sweden. Um, but he brought it to the NHL and, and put it on a pronounced level. And his athleticism is like something – and compete level is something like I've never seen before. He is so – in his prime, he was so good, so fun to watch. And like a lot of the elements in the great saves that he made were products of his own aggression. You know, he was a guy that would get really out. You have to travel far away to, to get there. Um, but just tremendous. Like Carey Price, I love Carey Price, but I don't like to watch highlights of Carey Price because they're so – he makes it look so easy because he's so technically good. A guy like Quick was – he was while he was technically good, he was just so acrobatic in his compete level. So – the three guys would be, you know, Hextall, Marty, and, and Jonathan Quick. Yeah, the it, it's. I'm so happy you said Jonathan Quick because I, I was love scared him. to mention love. him because you know I'm I'm 33, so um, you know I've been able to see the Brodeurs. I think the greatest goalie I've ever seen overall is Dominic Hasek. Like you said, I don't even know what the hell he was, but he just was incredible at it at everything he did. I think the greatest playoff goalie I ever seen before Jonathan Quick was Patrick Waugh because of that intensity, and he was just uh, it was just a nutcase, and I he had so much believability that when I would watch Avalanche, because I was a huge Avalanche fan growing up, because Forrest Break my favorite player of all time, so I would watch those Red Wings and and Avalanche game, and to me every single game the difference maker was Patrick Waugh, and it's yeah. that's incredible to me, um, but. What, growing up now and since covering the game since 05 to see guys like Carey Price and then um, I still got to – it was so cool I got to be part of um, Martin Brodeur and got to, you know, be around him and watch him live from a different aspect like, like you get to do every single day. Um, and then seeing Jonathan Quick, man, holy cow. For a goalie, you would know better than me, one of his detriments but became a strength was he always got on the ground so quick and he left a ton of the net open. But you just said he revolutionized the game with his athleticism and what his, you know, how, how he was an acrobat in, in some ways. And he was able to still make these saves and still be so successful, yet you would always hear announcers say on the, his, his downfall is he goes to the ice too, too quick. Yeah, yeah, well, it worked out well. 
Well, I mean, look, that, that whole thing and, and the, the RVH, which stands for reverse vertical horizontal is the post integration that he, you know, initially it was the VH where the post leg was up and it was straight up along the post as a seal. And then the inside leg will be down. But then he went to the RVH, which was, you know, both down, you know, there's areas of the ice where it's so beneficial to do it. Um, as soon as you get, there's a, a line called the dead angle which is basically the hash mark of the circle in the offensive zone or the D zone for a goalie um, to down below the goal line is called a dead angle. So you go into that position and yeah, you'll leave a little bit of the porch open up here and you'll see everybody when a goalie gives one of those up and Carter Hart gave up one this year. Um, they, go, they call RVH fail. Why is he down? Well, yeah, that happens one and 1500 times. What you don't realize is that anytime the pucks in that dead angle area or behind the net, being down in that position takes away the, t the bottom of the net. Now, 85% of goals scored in the NHL are in the bottom third. So you'll want to take care of the bottom of the net, and especially on stuff that comes out from, you know, below the goal line. Players don't roof it in those situations. They're just trying to get the pass, put it right in, boom, and it's along the ice. When you take care of all that down below area and God with Quick's flexibility and his explosion off the post, and that's why you see the saves that he made. It it is a absolute. It's a numbers game. He's playing a percentage, and that is the right percentage to do. Um, you know, when when everybody saw him doing it, and I and I had to integrate it into my game at a beer league level, and I see the. It's like wow, this is so much better to seal as opposed to being up and then having to go down. So. And your hands can still be active when you're in that position, but you're right. Like a lot of people criticize, like, why is he down in the RVH as soon as they come over the blue line? Well, he wasn't. It was the hash mark, but um, it, 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 that's what revolutionized the position. Yeah, well, that's why you're you're a broadcaster calling the game, and he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, Con Smythe winner. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, last two quick ones here for you, and I, I've taken up so much of your time, so thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you miss from the old style hockey? So you got to grow up in the Gretzky, the Lemieux, the, you know, uh, the Messiers, the, you know, they got Brett Hall, Yagers, um, and Yager went generation after generation. Um, but is there anything that you miss from that era, those past eras that you wish were still maybe integrated into today's game? Yeah, there's a little bit of, um, the, the one thing I think it's the legal acts, a little bit of storyline. Um, and look, uh, I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, fighting should be a part of the league. Like it, like it once was, it's too dangerous. I mean, guys get hurt and you got guys out there that are plugs out there just to, to throw hands. And then, you know, th that's their career and they get so much head injuries and we've seen guys take their lives because of it. So I, I I'm not going to be a Neanderthal and say they should bring that back, but the storyline, and that was part of what was the storyline when Ty Domi came to town. He was in the crosshairs when Matthew Barnaby came to town, the agitators, the players now almost are too friendly. In my opinion, the PA, the NHL PA is so strong. The players association, they all know each other. You know, if coaches back in the eighties saw guys like talking like, Hey, you know, how's the kids doing during a faceoff? They would be none too pleased. <laughs> um, and there's still some really intense guys like Marshand and, and Tom Wilson and guys play on that line. Um, you know, Patrick Maroon a little bit plays on that line a little bit. And Ryan Reeves is a guy, but they can all play hockey. So that's yeah. the thing. That's the one thing I love about the game. Now the speed and skill of the game is through the roof. The technology with sticks makes every guy be able to shoot it at a level that you just can't even believe. 
So a little bit of storyline would be something I would want back a little bit. Okay. Now uh, you need some some villains. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I agree. We need more Darius Kasparitis's. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or Scott Stevens. Oh, Scott Stevens would, would this era, man. Jeez. Yeah. Um, So last question, I can't talk to a guy who loves and knows hockey. So without bringing up Wayne Gretzky. So before this pandemic hit, Ovechkin had played 68 games and had 48 goals, I believe. So it puts, he's about 185 goals away, I think, from Wayne. And he's 34, he'll be 35 in September. Now, I always looked at every single record of Wayne Gretzky to be unbreakable because I think he's the greatest professional athlete in the history of pro sports. The greatest team team athlete. Yeah. Yeah. The the dominance is just unbelievable, but Ovechkin, man. So I I did his numbers and before I took away before this season, because it was halted by the, by COVID he's averaged 78 games a year for his career. So he's super durable. Um, Do you think there is a chance that Ovechkin gets to 892. Yeah, I do. Um, whereas one time it just seemed like there was too much there, and you go, well, he's 33 now, then he's 34. He's got to slow down, but he doesn't slow down. He's gonna he's gonna end up winning the Richard Trophy again this year with Pasternak. Um, he just doesn't slow down. It's crazy, yeah. and and I, I I don't know what's in that Russian blood of his, but I don't see him slowing down because I had. How am I going to say he's going to slow down? And Father Time always wins, and he eventually will. But um, I think he does get there. I think the chase is is real. I think he does get there. Um, I think he's on a team that will allow it. Um, it. It is amazing. I mean, you know where he's going to score most of his goals from, and you still can't stop yeah. him. It's just yeah. it's stunning to me. It's because not only can he bomb the shot from there but he knows exactly where it's going every time. I mean, it's just inside the bar or he goes across the ice. If a goalie overcommit, it's amazing how good to me, he's the best scorer in the history of the game. When I consider everything and you look at when Gretzky played, obviously goals were different and goaltending was different, but Ovi in this generation to do what he's doing is just stunning. And I think he will end up beating that record, but you're right. A lot of Gretz's records will never be touched. I mean, points obviously will never be touched. Um, no. I mean, it's just, it, I mean, he's, you take away all his goals and he still has more points than number two in the league all the time. It's crazy just with assists and, and Gretz is the greatest player yeah. to ever play the game and greatest team sport athlete. Um, but yeah, I think Ovi will get there. It's, it's going to take about three more years, maybe four. Uh, but I think he's got it in him, and he's just going to be one of those guys that defies father time for as long as possible. I really hope he gets the coverage that he deserves because that's going to be one of the greatest sports moments ever. I mean, especially in the last century, if anything. Yeah, and it's more legit than McGuire beating Maris's record and then Bonds beating McGuire's, you know, because it's it's not done on performance-enhancing drugs. So, right, it's amazing. I'm I'm starting to believe that Ovechkin is part mutant. Only the fact that how he's been able to be so dominant for so long, being as um, aggressive and being um, so physical. I don't yeah. know how that body just has not completely broken down. I mean, we look, obviously he's half the size almost you sometimes think, but you know, Mike Richards played 10 years because at 5'11, 180, he played like he was 6'3, 215. 
yeah, so, he thought he was, right? Yeah, he played physically <laughs> like that. But you're right. Like, go, like I don't know if you've seen Ovechkin off the ice. I mean, he looks like Jeremiah Trotter. Yes. <laughs> That's how big he is. I mean, his bottom yeah. half is like Trotz. He's got an enormous Russian hockey ass. Um, his yeah. legs are huge. He's a big guy. He looks smaller in equipment to me than he, than he does off the ice. Yeah, he's, he, it's amazing. And to have that durability rate, and he throws the body around and invites contact too. And has been the focal point of every team that's played against him his entire life. Uh, we got to shut him down, whether that was in Pee Wee or whether that's in, in the NHL. So, um, mm-hmm. as long as he stays here and doesn't go back and play in the KHL in Russia, which I don't think he will, um, mm-hmm. then, then I think he's going to end up beating the record. That's awesome, Jason. Before I let you go, man, where um where can everybody find you? Social media, podcast, the new um, uh, Flyers broadcast network. Kind of keep us up to date with that. Yeah, I got a few things uh, going on uh, on Twitter at Jason Mert. Um, the Stick to Hockey podcast on Twitter as well at Stick to Hockey Pod with the number two is the two. Um, and you know you can find all the podcasts, Stick to Hockey podcast, Flyers Daily, Flyers Fixed, uh, on iTunes or the Flyers Broadcast Network. Um, it's all there, and uh, tons of hockey content coming every week, and a lot more coming with games uh, hopefully just around the corner in Phase Four uh, in August for the NHL. Yeah, can't wait, man. Jason, I really appreciate it. I mean, I try to. I told people in the intro, and I'm going to tell them in the outro that you've been a mentor of mine since I got even into radio back in '05. Um, you've always been so kind, and you're a pro, and you know you're you're an incredible class act. So I really appreciate it. Uh, no, anytime, man. I love I love talking with you, and uh, I love talking hockey. You know that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right, that's Jason Martinez, and we will uh, we'll catch you down the road, man. Thank you so much. All right, thank you so much to Jason Martinez for hopping on and, and talking to us for just a little bit, you know, just a, under an hour. Um, just a, an incredible conversation. I mean, we could have went on for another hour or so. Uh, I talked to Jason afterwards, and he told me once the season gets going and we actually have, you know, more recent, you know, up-to-date stuff to talk about for the Flyers, especially when the, they start their, their playoff round robin once the NHL gets back on the ice. Uh, Jason's going to be uh, a regular uh, on the show, which is great. Uh, it's going to be fantastic to get a hold of some players. Uh, we can get some player interviews for you guys uh, once the season gets kicked off. Um, very much looking forward to the future of this show uh, the next time uh, we are on, which I'm going to try to do obviously once a week and once sports – hopefully, God willing, uh, returns to full bore in September with uh, the NFL. I hope to do this show at least once a week. Uh, The next time you hear us will be uh, Jason and I will be on the air with you guys. Um, Not sure what we're going to talk about because everything seems to be so fluid right now, uh, especially with with professional sports. Um, Just really excited to get going. I want to thank you guys so much um, for, you know, the interest of Uh, of myself getting back on the air to do this show. It's been a few years since uh, I've done a a Philadelphia sports-centric podcast. Uh, You know, this is where I belong. This is my comfort zone. And I'm I'm grateful that a lot of you feel the same way, especially when I did all the writing for all those years. Um, 
you know, who knows, maybe that might be something I, I venture back into down the road. I doubt it, but you just, you never know. Uh, God opens certain doors uh, for reasons. Um, so thank you guys again so much. I said at the top of the show where you can find us on social media. Uh, definitely check those out. And uh, stick to the Enterprise Sports Network, man. And we got so many different podcasts coming up. Um, anything that fits your tastes, your interests, man, they're, they're, they are going to have a show for you. Um, you know, you like gambling, they're going to have a show. If you like watching The Bachelor, they're going to have a show, you know, that centers around stuff like that. Um, there's going to be so many things that are coming down the pipe here uh, for Enterprise Sports. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be part of this ride. Um, so definitely check us out on Anchor. Dot FM, uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, you know, anywhere you guys have an app to listen to podcasts, you will find Face Off with Chris and um, so much more to come. I promise you this is going to be um, a, a fun ride and I'm looking forward to you guys uh, uh, strapping in with me. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and weekend and uh, I am signing off here and I will catch you all down the road. Have a good one. Bye bye.